and, um, and what mission is in the first talk. And uh, we saw clearly that, that um, mission is about proclaiming God's word. We, um, we looked in the, at the second talk of the morning about uh, the, the role of the Holy Spirit and mission. Andy. And now today... Can we just turn that off so you Sorry. don't get dazzled? Um, yeah, I'm getting a bit dazzled. Yeah, I thought you might be. Is there a, there's a little remote control somewhere, isn't there? Is it here? That's the sound. Oh, that's the sound. Oh, there it is. If you just turn that off. So today we're going to be thinking about love. Now, um, the first two, in the first two talks, it's kind of quite easy to see why I chose the topics that we looked at. Um, you can see why, well, you know, Holy Spirit and mission and defining what mission is. You can see the importance of that. But love, perhaps that's slightly kind of, that's less immediately obvious why we would think about love. Of course, we all think that love is a good thing. No one's going to kind of object to the importance of love. No one's going to say, well, I hate love. Boo, down with love. Don't want to think about love. But, but we may not immediately connect love with mission. Um, and so the, there's something important for us to think about because one of the, the, the big point Jesus is making here, one of the big points he's making, is that the quality of, our, of the relationships which we have within our community is actually vital for evangelism. It's actually vital for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, now there, there are two sides to this issue. So on the one hand, you've got people who are pastorally gifted. They're naturally empathetic. They see the needs of other people. They're the kind of people who are good listeners. They're very relational. But often those kinds of people are not too naturally focused on evangelism. Uh, you know, they, they all say things like, well, there's no point in us doing evangelism if there's no community, if we're not taking care of one another. We, we've got to take care of one another. And then on the other side, you've got the evangelists. And they're sensitive to, to unbelievers and to the thinking and the needs of unbelievers. And, and they love sharing the gospel. They're great at inviting people in. And they say, look, we've just been a holy huddle here. And they like the first talk that I uh, did uh, um, uh, yesterday. Because they say, yeah, we need to get out there. And so what can happen in, in, in a church, and I'm not suggesting this is going on in this church by any means, but, but, it, but it certainly can happen in, in, in a church. You get this kind of tension between the kind of pastors and the evangelists. But actually what we see here from Scripture is that there is no need for war here. That We see from Scripture that actually everyone is right. And everyone needs to learn from everyone else. And one of the key, one of the key things I want us to see here from the Scripture is that love is key for doing mission. You don't have to choose between being to. Uh, you don't have to choose between word-centered mission and building a loving community. In fact, you shouldn't choose. Uh, it's wrong to choose. That loving community is key for mission, and mission must have a loving community. These two things go hand in hand. You you mustn't separate them. And it's certainly how Jesus thinks. And so we're, we're going to think about the whole role of loving community today, and 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 have a think about how that how that impacts mission. So the first thing we're going to look at is how loving community is missional, is missional. Now, in these verses that um, I read out uh, for you, they, they come in the context of John 14 to 16, you, um, uh, which um, you, you're going all, all the way through gospel, uh, John's gospel at the moment, aren't you, in your, in your home groups. And in John 14 to 16, Jesus is about to go to his death, and, and he makes this long speech where he's outlining uh, what will happen when he goes um, uh, his relationship with his disciples when he goes. It's a long speech that Jesus makes just before his death. And here in chapter 13, 
He's already, he, he, he said to them, a new command I give you, love one another. And he repeats it a number of times through this um, farewell speech. So in John 15, verse 12, if you look with me at that, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And in verse 17 of chapter 15, this is my command, love each other. Now, what you repeat, you mean, don't you? Whatever you go on and on about, whatever you nag people about, you mean. And Jesus here is saying this several times because he wants them to get this. And he's serious about them and us living this out. It's very striking, isn't it? As, as Jesus is going to his death, what does he teach his disciples about? He teaches them to love one another. It's very striking. As he goes to the cross, he is concerned with his followers loving one another. That is what is on his mind. That is what he is preoccupied with. That is what he is focused on. Now, verse 34, he calls it a new command. Now, it's not a new commandment because it's not in the Old Testament, because the command to love your neighbor is in the Old Testament. But it's new because with the coming of Jesus, it assumes a new centrality. A new centrality. It becomes even more important. Because the law of God is fulfilled in following this command. That, that uh, statement is made a number of times by Paul, where he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. So as new covenant believers, we don't sacrifice sheep, we don't build a tabernacle, we, we don't avoid um, clothes made of two different kinds of cloth, we love each other. That's how we fulfill the law of God. We love each other. Now Jesus is preoccupied with this very thing as he goes to his death. And what Jesus is preoccupied with, we should be preoccupied with, shouldn't we? Jesus is preoccupied with love, and therefore it makes sense for us to be preoccupied with love as well. In verse 35, he makes the connection between mission and love. It becomes very clear, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you, are my, that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, these are, these are very famous uh, verses here. Here, Jesus refers to disciples. A disciple is someone who copies and imitates his master. So how do people know that we are disciples of Jesus? How do they know that we are followers of Jesus? How do they know that God lives amongst us? Now, if someone was to ask you that question, how does someone know that you are a disciple of Jesus? How would you answer that question? I guess we would naturally say something like, well, you know, I believe the gospel, or we teach the gospel, or as a church, we've got testimonies of how people have come to faith, or we have faith in Jesus, or we love Jesus and God the Father. This is how we know that Christ lives amongst us. Now, you know, obviously, all these things are absolutely true and vital and very important. But it's not what Jesus says here, is it? It's not what he says here. He says that people know that you are my disciple by your love for one another. It doesn't say quite what we expect. He says that the reality of God's power and his presence amongst us is shown by our love for one another. In other words, loving community shows the presence and the power of Jesus. Loving community is missional. It displays something of the power of God. Now, it's not saying that loving community is the gospel. We're not going back to Francis of Assisi and saying, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We're not saying loving community is, uh, is the gospel, but we're saying it demonstrates the power of the gospel. It's a bit like wearing a badge. You know, um, people like wearing badges. I don't, I don't know if you were a prefect at school. I was a prefect at school, and this badge signified power power to put people in report or detention. 
C&D have got a badge. There's a red ribbon for AIDS Day. It's a sign that you belong to a group, that you believe in certain things. But for us as Christians, the badge we wear is not physical. It's, it's not even a cross. It is love. That's the badge that we wear. How do people know that we are followers of Jesus? It is because we obey his command to love. Now, um, outside our church, we've just put, put a great big blue sign ad, uh, advertising our building. Our building doesn't really look like a church from, from the outside. It's above a dry cleaners on the first floor, and it's kind of red brick. You wouldn't know it's a church. So we put this massive big blue sign, and it's got some attention. Someone came in and swore at me about it, but at least it's made it clearer <laughs> that, 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 that we're a church. It's a good advert. But actually, that blue sign is not really the sign that we are a church. It is not the blue sign that tells people that a church is meeting there. The, the real sign is love. It's love that tells people that there's a proper church meeting here. That's how people know. Jesus doesn't say that people know that we are his followers because we meet in a particular kind of building on a Sunday or because we use the name Christian or because we claim certain things. He says that people know that we're his followers because of what's underneath, because of what's going on inside of us. So imagine Bob walks into Christchurch Earlsfield on a Sunday afternoon, but he doesn't know it's a church. He's just kind of wandered into the building. He's got lost. Maybe he thinks it's a police station or the local swimming pool. He's waiting to get a bus, and somehow he's got confused, and he wanders into your meeting. And he comes in, and he sees these people gathered around, and he has a bit of coffee and a bit of cake, and a few people chat to him. What you want him to say is, wow, there's something weird here. People really care about each other. There's something special about them. They're being really kind to me. There's something supernatural going on in this community. That's what Jesus is on about. It is the slow and powerful witness of love. And, and what we do as, as followers of Jesus, we come against our hard, liberal, secular culture with love, with loving community. And we witness to it with the word of the gospel demonstrated in loving relationships. Love is the real banner over Christchurch Earlsfield. It's better than any church band. It's better than neon lights. Loving community is, in and of itself, missional. How you treat each other is the big display of the power of Jesus amongst you. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts is love, <coughs> is, is faith showing itself in love. The power of the gospel is demonstrated amongst you in, in loving relationships. And this is Jesus' priority for you guys. His priorities haven't changed in the last 2,000 years. He still says to us, Love one another. He's not saying something different to us today from what he said on the last night before his death. Love one another. So loving community is missional. It's missional. Secondly then, what kind of love is missional? What kind of love is missional? Now, the thing to notice here is that the kind of love Jesus is talking about here is love for one another. In other words, it is focused on the church, on the community of disciples. Um, Originally, he's talking to his disciples here, the one another, is his followers. So he's not here talking about love for the lost or love for people around you, but love between you. Um, he's talking about you as a community of believers. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't care about other people. And, of course, other places he talks about loving our enemies and, and doing good to everyone. And, and we'll say some, I'll say something about this uh, in, in the, my last talk. But the point here is that church is special. The church community is special. There is a special love that you have for one another, a deep spiritual friendship that connects you. John 15, verse 15 says, uh, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made 
known to you. So you are a gathering of Jesus's friends, his friends. He's called you together as Jesus' friends. And, and, I, and I've got a, a few quotes here from C.S. Lewis on the theme of friendship from, the, from his book, The Four Loves. And I love what he says here about friendship. I, th- I think it can really illuminate something about community for us. And those quotes are, are on your handouts. Firstly, then, here's C.S. Lewis, what he says on, on, on friendship. Friendship arises out of mere companionship, where two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his, his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. It is then that friendship is born and instantly they stand together in an, an immense solitude. See, we are people who have discovered that we have the biggest thing in the world in common. We have Jesus. And that draws us together in friendship. See, the big city of London is not a place of friendship, really. It can be a pretty inhospitable place. People tend to keep each other at a distance. They don't always want to trust one another or look out for one another. They certainly don't want to commit. And there's a level of suspicion and and people are, are often scared of losing their freedom. There's a fear of getting too close to people. And, and we need to be very careful we don't import that into the church because the church is a place of friendship. It's not, it's not a place where we hang back. It's not a place where we, we say, oh, I don't want to get too close. It's not a place where we intentionally re, uh, remain on the fringes of things or remain non-committal. We dip in and out. That is not to be the way that Jesus' friends operate. We are to uh, operate with deep <coughs> spiritual friendship. Now, of course... If we remain on the fringes, as many people do actually in churches in London, if we kind of dip in and out when we feel like it, you will keep a kind of freedom. You might be able to kind of do whatever you want, but what you will never know is the blessing of deep spiritual friendship. When you keep your distance, it makes it actually impossible for you to be cared for by other people. And actually makes it impossible for you to care for other people. I would say to the guys in our church, you need to know the name of every person in this congregation because if you don't, you're certainly not praying for them. You need to know the name of, of, of every person and to know what's going on in their lives. And of course, in a small church, that is possible. But when we keep distance, it becomes impossible to be cared for and it becomes impossible to care for other people. And therefore, we can't fulfill what Jesus says when he says, love one another. We need to get close. Again, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And of course, if we love one another... We become vulnerable, you know, to, to, to love one another. We have to move off the fringe. We have to open up. And obviously we can get hurt. But actually that, that, is, that is the only way that friendship and love can develop. So Christchurch Earlsville, guard your community. Build it, serve it, protect it. Don't let it get taken away from you. Just like your joy. Don't let someone nick your joy. Don't let someone nick your community or the good relationships that you have. Here's the last quote from C.S. Lewis. But in friendship, being free of all that, we, have, we think we have chosen our peers. But for a Christian, there's strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, 
can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I've chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste and finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. There are, they are no greater than the beauties of a thousand other men. By friendship, God opens our eyes to them. They are like all beauties derived from him. And then in a good friendship, increased by him through the friendship itself, so that it is his instrument for creating as well as for revealing. In other words, God has chosen you for each other. You might have thought, well, you know, I, I wandered in Christchurch Church Earlsfeld, and I thought, yeah, this is right. I'll, you know, I'll grace them with my presence, and, uh, yeah, I'll make this my church, and, um, I, you know, I, I like the people here. But no, no, no. You came here because Jesus brought you here. And Jesus has chosen everyone else in this room to be your friend. And you might have thought, oh, dear. You know, I wasn't expecting that. But gee, there's, there's a secret master of ceremonies at work, and he's binding you together, and he's creating a community. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus knows exactly what you need, and it's the person sat next to you. That might freak you out a little bit, but trust him. He's called you to live out the spiritual friendship with one another and to build one another up. And even those, those people who you find a little bit awkward or difficult to get along with or you don't naturally click with, those are the people Jesus has chosen for you. Those are the people you need. Jesus has chosen all these people because this is the only way you can become holy and become like him. You need each other. And he's using each one of you to impact the other. So Jesus is commanding us to love one another. And let's hear actually the, the really obvious thing here, that what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us is not a suggestion or a wish. He calls it a commandment, doesn't he? It's a commandment. In other words, it's an order. Now think of the things that Jesus commands. Uh, when you read through the Gospels, you see all kinds of examples of things that Jesus commands. The storms. Jesus commands demons, doesn't he, to come out of people. He commands sickness. He commands dead people to, get out of the, to come out of the grave. When Jesus commands, it's actually very powerful. It's very authoritative. And here he is commanding you and me to love. And, it, and it's very good to feel the force of this because how much you and I need a command. See, we won't love just naturally in and of ourselves. It's not enough just to have ideals or to think that love is a good thing. It's not enough actually just to kind of enjoy the social life of Christchurch Earlsfield. That isn't the same as loving one another. That isn't the same as you know, taking up your cross and serving one another. We need to be pushed. And love doesn't just happen. It doesn't just kind of land on us as a community. We don't just kind of wake up one day and say, oh, wow, you know, I'm a really loving person. Uh, becoming a loving uh, person, becoming a loving community is really hard work, and we need that command. So we need to have realism about what we're actually really like. We all look okay from a distance, but you get close, you have to rub up against people, and immediately there's friction. So you have to do stuff with other people, work with other people. You go into home group with people, and you know, there's little kind of frictions and irritations. You move in with someone, and they're really different. You, you marry someone, and suddenly you know, things are a bit different, aren't they? And you have to work out your love. <coughs> In the middle of that, we need to keep hearing Jesus' command and his authority to say, love, love one another. Maybe today you're feeling a bit un unmotivated by church. Maybe you're feeling a bit disappointed with some of your friends here. Maybe you feel a bit irritated with someone. Maybe, maybe you have a grievance. Maybe you've had some bad thoughts about someone. Maybe you're wanting to get your own way in some kind of decision. But in the middle of this, Jesus commands you to love your spiritual friends. I, uh, I, um, 
did a talk similar to this uh, a little while ago in my own congregation, and I preached on this, 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 this topic. And um, straight after the service, I got really irritated with someone. I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was really moody with them, and it created a minor. It, it was a minor thing, but I was, you know, I, was, I was really pretty irritated and annoyed with them. And it's, uh, suddenly, suddenly came to I oh, wait a minute. Did I just preach on love <laughs> and patience? Did I just challenge everyone? And it's suddenly, I suddenly realized, I, I need the command, don't I? I need the command. And it might be that, you know, later on this afternoon, you find yourself, you know, uh, becoming angry or, or saying something you shouldn't. And you need to remember the command. Love one another. This kind of love will, will amaze the world. When we care for one another, when we serve one another, when we look out for one another. When, when, you, when you come to church, even though you've got a cold and you're feeling grotty and you're tired. When you don't care who gets the credit for a task. When you pray for other people, you, just get, you get hold of the list of members and you just kind of pray through the list. When you forgive someone for some kind of stepping on your toes in some way. The world is amazed by this kind of loving friendship. And Bob, when he comes into your, into, your, uh, into your church service looking for the bus or swimming pool or whatever it is, he'll say, oh, forget the coffee and the cake. These are just ordinary people. I quite like Richard Dawkins and I like what he says, but these guys have got incredible love. There's something going on here. That kind of love is missional. That's the kind of love that's missional. Lastly, how do we get the mission, this missional love then? How do we get it? What Jesus says in verse 34... Love as I have loved you. Love as I have loved you. Now, when we think about, as Christians, when we think about love, we don't go to poems we, we learned at school. We don't kind of quote Shakespeare, now shall I compare them to a summer's day? We don't go to the music charts. We don't go to rom-coms with their predictable stories. We don't even go to my own experiences, my own feelings, or pictures of puppy dogs. We go to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we go, don't we, as Christians? The cross of Jesus tells us about love. It's not poems or, or films or my feelings. But there, 2,000 years ago, outside of Jerusalem, a man died a really painful, awful death. That is love. And that's where we start when we think about love. The love of Jesus executed for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. The love of God in, in the New Testament is always tied to the cross. You often get this expression that he loved us. It can sound almost like, well, God loved us in the past, but he doesn't love us now. We often talk about how God loves us, but the New Testament often talks about how God loved us because it goes back to the cross, to, the new, to, to what Jesus did there. Now, how do we know that God loves us now? Because he loved us then at the cross. Now, early in chapter 13 and verse 1, Jesus says, or it, the, the, the gospel says, having loved his own who were in the cross, he now showed them the full extent of his love. In other words, the cross is showing them his love. And, and this is a love that is bigger than the universe. It's a love that's bigger than anything else in my life. It's a love that lasts longer than anything else, and it's all tied to the cross. It's not a love that's based on poetry or romantic films or the top 40. It's a love that's all based on the death of Jesus. So the cross is at the centre of everything. And, and, and we, therefore, have no gathering, no fellowship apart from that. So today, the only basis for our, us meeting together is the love of Jesus at the cross. That's basically why we're here. The cross... Uh, is invisibly at the centre of everything that we're doing here today. And Jesus says, love as I have loved you. So this morning, we meet as loved people. We are loved. You are a loved person.
today. Now, you may not feel that. You may actually feel quite rejected at the moment. Maybe you feel rejected by family or by someone close to you. You may feel fat or ugly or stupid or worthless. You might be in pain. You might actually be feeling quite depressed. You might be fearful. But today, you are loved. You are loved. You're a loved person. You're loved beyond your wildest dreams. You're far more loved than you understand. You're far more loved than you feel. And if you doubt that, you look at the cross. The cross, see, the cross doesn't change however you feel. You might feel one way one day or something else another day. But the cross hasn't changed, has it? It's, it's a finished event. Whatever's been spoken of your, over your life, whatever you have experienced, the cross is the same. And it's true for you today, as it has been for millions of others down through the last few thousand years. God's love for you is real today, and it stands, for, stands forever. And you are secure in the love of God. Now, it's very important to get this because... Loved people love people. Loved people love people. Jesus says, I have loved you. Think about that. He loved you when you didn't deserve it. When you turned your back on him, when you were lost, when you were far from him, he loved you. You hadn't earned it. It's not because you're a good person that he loved you. He loved you when you weren't good. He loved you without wanting something back. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your worship. You know, he's not lacking something without you. Jesus isn't needy or insecure without you. He loved you without wanting something back. He loved you by giving up everything for you. It's extreme, isn't it? It's from heaven to earth. And he's treated like a slave. And then he goes to the cross and he makes incredible sacrifices. It's a kind of unbelievable story. He's loved you by giving up everything. And he's loved you intensely. He isn't just kind of half-hearted in his love for you. It's not just a bit. Remember Jesus in Gethsemane sweating blood for you as he, as he prostrates himself on the, on the ground. The Son of God on the ground, in the dust, for you. He's loved you intensely. And he's loved you happily. He's not begrudging. He's not doing it through gritted teeth. He's, um, he has real joy from loving, uh, from, love, uh, from loving you. What's the expression on God's face today as he looks at you? It is a smile. God smiles. He, he, he loves you happily. That's how Jesus loves you today. And so he says to his disciples, I have loved you like this. Now, love one another like this. Now love one another like this. His love changes us, and it gives us a pattern to live by. Jesus' love makes a loved community that overflows with love. Jesus' love makes a loved community that overflows with love. Love people, love one another. So there's an important pattern that you see through chapters 14 to 16. It's very profound. A pattern of loving relationships. As you go through the chapters and you read through them carefully, you, you, you see this pattern of loving relationships. Think of it as a series of cascading Niagara waterfalls. A series of cascading Niagara waterfalls. So you've got one, you know, cascading into one another, all the way from the top to the bottom. At the top, you have the father overflowing with love for his son. It's Niagara waterfall of love. The father loving the son. An eternal waterfall just kind of pouring out love. And then below that, you have the son. And he comes and he overflows with love for us. This eternal Niagara waterfall of love overflowing for us. And then thirdly, underneath that, you have lots of mini waterfalls where we overflow with love for one another. Lots of kind of little mini waterfalls. It all starts at the top. It cascades down the Father for the Son, the Son for us, and then us for each other. The love of the Father and the Son comes pouring into our lives and, it, and then it overflows with love for each other. So church is a place overflowing with love. The dams have burst, the pipes have burst, and love is just flowing everywhere. That is a deep theological reason why love is missional. Because 
When people see that love amongst us, they get an echo of God's love, the cascading waterfall coming down, bang, bang, bang. As they see our little mini waterfalls, they get a picture of the big waterfalls further upstream. Love from the Father to the Son to us. We're imitating the very nature of God. They're meaning something very powerful amongst us. They're seeing what God is like. They may have no idea what God is like, but when they see our love for one another, they get a picture of, 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 of heaven's love. God's love is put on, di- put on display. And so when we know that we are loved, that love overflows in our lives. We end up loving people in church when they don't deserve it. We, we end up loving people in church when we've got nothing to gain from them. We end up loving people in church in extreme ways. We do crazy things for each other. There's no limits to it. We love intensely. We're not half-hearted, but there's follow-through. We love each other happily, not reluctantly. There's a smile on our face towards one another because we've got the Father's smile to us. We've been loved, and so therefore, we overflow with love for each other. Loved people love people. (coughs) And so you can see that mission and loving community go hand in hand. There's something very deeply theological about this. There's a deep experience of God's love in our lives, and therefore, we love one another. On the one hand, you see, if we're getting into an introverted holy huddle we've missed the point and on the other, on the other hand if we're going out doing lots of act, you know activism and evangelism but there's no quality of relationships or care amongst us what kind of good news do we really have to share how can we really talk about the love of god but loving community and mission are not alternatives they're not choices which we're having to force into to choose one over against the other our spiritual friendship with one another is love and the world has never known this. They, they don't know anything like this, this spirit-filled, God-filled, loving community. It's supernatural, it's radical, it's distinctive, it's overwhelming. To see the, the kind, thoughtful, forgiving friends of Jesus caring for one another is an amazing thing. And it's humbling to get a glimpse of what Jesus is like amongst us. Our relationships are missional. And as they see us, they'll know that there's something funny going on in Christchurch, Earlsfield. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this incredible love, this cascading waterfall of love that's been poured out into our lives. And, uh, Father, we, we long to know more of that. And we pray that this would just find an outlet in our own relationships with each other. Father, I pray that that command to love one another would not feel a burden, but it would feel immensely joyful, liberating, I pray, Father, you'd set us free by your Spirit to love one another. Exalt the cross amongst us. Exalt the love of Christ amongst us. And so let there be love bouncing off the walls, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you want to turn to um, your neighbour? Again, any questions or thoughts or applications? And then we'll, um, we'll take some questions. Thank you.